0: Hello, and welcome to the Coastal Noise podcast. This episode is with Jim Pinkston of Pinkston's Music. I'll give a brief introduction because um, we came into the door, came into the studio, and just immediately took off, and uh, which is, I, I like it like that. Um, so just to give you a little intel, a little background on, on Mr. Jim, uh, he ran Pinkston's Music here in Gulfport for 27 years, lifelong mu- uh, musician, originally born from... In, in Memphis learned to play there and was a touring musician for many, many years. And that's kind of how he got his start in the industry learning uh, different business aspects of it and, and doing different business ventures until eventually he ended up here on the coast and uh, servicing us for 27 years. So a bit of a music legend in the area. And it was great to sit down and, and talk with him. It's one of those guys that ever, every time I go into his shop and hear him speak to somebody or have a quick exchange with him myself, I always think, you know, how cool would it be to sit this guy down and have a talk with him? And uh, it's really cool. That I got to do that here in in this setting, and uh, I think that's great. So uh, Pinkston's is closed down for the most part, and uh, he's transitioning into a semi-retired state. Going to do a little business on the side, but he talks about all that and so forth. Um, Future podcasts coming down the way. Of course, if you want to hear more episodes, you can go to coastalnoise.com. I am getting the podcast up on iTunes, I swear to God. It's, it's coming. I want to take my time and make sure I do it right. And luckily, I've reached out to some of the local community, podcast community around here. Melissa Mott from Monsters and Macros is giving me a handout. Robbie D'Angelo, I'm in talks with him. So it's going to get done. It's going to get done. Other than that, oh, so podcast in the future. I'm in talks corresponding with David Elliott of WLOX News and... We are looking to maybe do an episode. As you can hear, it's raining pretty hard right now outside, and there's a big tropical storm. So we're kind of waiting for that to blow through, and we're, we're going to figure out dates and all that. Uh, but I'm really excited to talk to him uh, from a journalist standpoint and as a podcaster. Um, of course, Dave works seven days a week, W O X doing... Sometimes more than one show a day, so he's been in the trenches a long time, and he's also has radio experience. So that's going to be a great podcast, I think. So, and I towards the end of the episode, the closing out, I mentioned some other guests that I'm I'm looking into. So, hang in there if you want to hear what else is coming down the pipes. Other than that, um, follow me, Stephen Lawson Music. On Instagram, that's where I'm at most of the time. And I'm like I got a Facebook too. You can friend me there, I guess. Maybe one day I'll be a business, I don't know. Um, business profile. I am a business son. But uh I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Jay Z, little throwback for you. Um but anywho those two places and then i'm thinking about picking up the social media ends of of coastal noise i have some outlets out there for facebook and twitter and all that um i still got a twitter too and I, I've, I've been uploading i've been using that to send news feeds and stuff that i just kind of formulate there so there's that but yeah for the most part my profiles and coastalnoise.com that's where it's at that's where it's all happening these days uh thanks so much honestly truly for listening i appreciate it don't think i don't And, um, that's it. Hear what, hear what Mr. Jim has to say now, okay? Coastal Noise Podcast, episode number 65, Jim Pinkston of Pinkston's Music. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey, one more thing before we start the show. Couple more seconds, if I may. I may be playing a show at the Almost Circle Gallery July 7th for their Spirit of Summer event. They asked me to do it, and then, and then things went into the planning phase, but long story short, I may be going to Seattle that that week, so I don't know if I'll be doing it, but I will know within 72 hours of publishing this podcast. So if you're interested in that, if you'd be curious, you can go to Music.com and check it out, and then I'll, I'll have the dates and the information posted there. If I'm not there, then Zach Fellman of Blackwater Brass, or somebody else will come out and it'll be really cool It'll be groovy so you should go regardless because the almost circle gallery is just a, that great of a place okay so that's it so we'll go ahead and start off the show the first five minutes we're, we're not situated at the mics yet we just kind of come in and start talking so uh, bear with it first five minutes you can hear everything fine But um, after that first five, then we get settled in and the audio gets a significant bump and improvement. But I've edited it so it sounds pretty good as is. Um, So just hang in there. What you're hearing right at the beginning is Mr. Jim telling a story uh, about how he got his wisdom teeth taken out when he was a young guy in Memphis and couldn't quit smoking, so kept calling his doctor. So that's where we begin the episode there. So enjoy.
1: Mm. And, you know, I was 23 years old, you know, in Memphis, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And uh, uh, I was calling this doctor every six to ten hours because I'd keep smoking. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, about fifth or sixth time, it's four o'clock in the morning, Mm -hmm. and he's meeting me at his office, and he literally put his hands On my throat, and says, "You little mother, call me one more time and I'll kill you." (laughs) I mean, I'm waking them up morning, noon, and night. Yeah, because I can't quit smoking.
0: Yeah,
1: but anyway, yeah, good times. Were you able to? Oh, oh, you you know, you know what I mean. You know, who knows, man? I was twenty three. That was forty years ago. Oh, yeah. but but yeah I vividly remember that man's eyes mm. as he's choking me
0: Were <laughs> you ever to ever to give it up
1: uh well um uh 1990 I moved from yeah, I, was born. I moved from here I moved from Memphis mm. to here with a wife a 10 month old baby and four thousand dollars. That's, that's what I came to the Gulf Case with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and literally, didn't know a Didn't know a And I'm going to open up a music store in Gulfport, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. From Memphis. Mm-hmm. Really? Are you stupid? Uh, and anyway, I was so broke, it came down to a pack of cigarettes or a gallon of milk. For my son, and I quit because I was a smoker I was I was on the road forever, you know, forty six weeks a year. You know what I mean, man? Mm-hmm. Professional union musician. That's what I did, mm-hmm. and uh, I quit in one minute. Just like that. Had to. And gallon of milk, pack of cigarettes
0: mm-hmm. for your kid. Yeah,
1: and that's—I know that sounds really whiny. It's the truth. Well, true story.
0: Chemicals, uh, the shit they put in there, it almost overrides your body to where your 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 very neurological inputs and outputs are just out of whack. Or, you have a bodily reaction.
1: Well, when you're when you were on the road, as much as I was on the road, mm-hmm. you had so much downtime,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. What did you do? You smoked. It was the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. You smoked.
0: Back when we had no idea half no. how
1: bad. No. no. I, mean, you know, I mean, three and four packs a day.
2: hmm <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Anyway, you know. Yeah. But... Uh, man, look, I've had a great life. And I don't, you know, it's not like I'm going to die tomorrow or anything, but I wouldn't give, I would never want to be you. I would never want to live in this time in life. And I know that sounds super stupid, but I enjoyed being a Memphis musician. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I enjoyed The 70s through the 90s, the greatest music that was ever recorded, Mm -hmm. the music biz. Mm -hmm. I loved being from Memphis, Mm -hmm. gigs everywhere, making money. I was in the top 10% of my entire industry.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, good times.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great sex. (laughs) <laughs> we should get those on record. <laughs> uh, no, you, we should. We should definitely. Uh,
1: oh man, Look, man, man, do whatever you want to do.
0: Let's do it. I mean, I like this. Is it? This is great. This sure, is what, what we're talking about is good. Great. I, I, let's let's just sim off that. Um, here, we'll, you want headphones? Sure. Yeah. Check two. Yeah. So. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to. Uh, can you hear? Okay, you know. Yeah, these sure. These are SM fifty eight. So of course, okay. You know, and that's one thing I wanted to know more about. Um, that I was kind of reading up on you. Two areas that I wanted to know that are a thing of your life that I'm, I don't associate you with, and that's with your history and music of actually playing. Sure. And and doing the. Um, The clubs that you were doing and going around as far as between Mexico and Canada, sure, sure, for for years. That
1: was a completely different life. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really, really was. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, In in the whole music biz, it what and and you know it's almost going to sound like this reminisce kind of a thing, but everything has changed, and nobody can make. Any money in the music business. What a joke. What an absolute joke the music biz. <sighs> you know what I mean? You know, uh, uh in the nineteen eighties uh in and man I don't mean to pull you too deep into the weeds. No, please, or, please or anything like that. Um uh, the way the way the live music biz worked. Mm-hmm. Okay, like like Memphis is one of the the uh logistic capitals of America. You can be almost any place east of the Rockies, New York, Florida, whatever in less than 12 hours. Okay, just the logistics of well, why do you think mm-hmm. FedEx is in Memphis?
0: Ideally located. Right. I do business on all grounds quickly. Yeah,
1: right. You know, it's the largest truck stop in the world. Really? Yeah. Wow. I mean, every trucking company in America is in Memphis, West Memphis. But your rule of thumb, if you were a band in Memphis, is okay. You could not drive over three hours. So if you were in Memphis, you could drive to Jackson, Mississippi, Nashville, Little Rock, or right south of St. Louis. But that's a huge area. Man, do you know how many gigs there were in that locale? But if you drove more than three hours, set up your stage, did a four-hour gig, tore down your stage and drove back home. That was a 10-hour day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Who's going to pay you? I mean, okay, you know, because time is money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're on the road and you're out there and you're competing with some of the best bands. You better be good. Mm-hmm. You better be good. Mm-hmm. But uh, if if you weren't getting paid, won't we, I mean, you know, Uh, Top line pro gear, lighting, sound systems, booking it, uh, a vehicle that can pull the trailer. I mean, you get it, you know. Mm -hmm.
0: People think you just go on stage. They see musicians and they see you play a three hour, and wow, what a great job! You know, it's got to be awesome. But you don't factor in the breaking it down, the putting it together, the whole, the whole nine that goes into it, the rehearsals, everything.
1: Well, and and again, that goes back to it's why okay. In the 80s, in the the 70s and the 80s, we did Holiday Inns, Sheratons, Marriott's, Hilton's, uh, because any hotel that didn't have live entertainment, you didn't stay there. Hmm. Period. And then, of course, the whole Mothers Against Drunk Driving and, you know what I mean, everything changed where, uh, uh, well, Memphis, up until... The middle 70s, you couldn't buy liquor by the drink. You would have to buy a bottle of liquor, and you would pay for a setup. And I would sit there and watch 300 people get trashed. You know, it's 1 o'clock, the bar's fixing to close, and there's this much left in the bottle. Well, let's finish this one off. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was... Middle, late 70s, before you could say, give me a bourbon seven. I mean, that's how arcade. I never even heard the word DUI until the 80s. That word didn't exist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's just how much things have changed. But when you were on the road the way I was, no, you were doing hotels. Man, you weren't doing sloppy one nighters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, no. I mean, you know, you'd be at a Marriott, and you'd wake up and and send me three eggs, some biscuits, and and a large coffee. I mean, you know? yeah, yeah. But anyway, you know, I I I divert, I'm sorry. You
0: know. No, no, no. That's good. I wanted to know how living in Memphis influenced you as a musician, and. And uh, so you learned to play there in Memphis Oh I started. growing up.
1: Uh, I started playing when I was 12 years old. Uh, I got my first bass off of Beale Street
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, did my first gig four months later mm-hmm. at a birthday party at a church next door and never stopped mm-hmm. and turned pro at either 15 or 16.
0: Wow. Churches are good for that, aren't they? I hear so many guys g- get their legs playing in church bands. They make money. Oh, no, they- no,
1: no. Not church band. No, it's it's where somebody had rented out a room oh. for their birthday party for their daughter.
0: Oh, I see. Right, but... And then you just played in that space. Right,
1: right. And see, but I always approached it as a business mm-hmm. from the time I was 12. Mm-hmm. You know, and God, here comes the violin. You know, poor Jim. You know what I mean? You know, I was I was, uh, in Memphis. You had two newspapers, one in the morning, one at night, in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Commercial Appeal was the morning paper. Well, I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning throwing the big paper, and I'd get out of school at 3, and I'd throw the afternoon paper. And then in summer, uh, I'd do both of those. And I'd have nine different yards to cut grass.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, you know what I mean. It was just—it's what you did. Mm-hmm. You worked. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. just period.
0: So you were working at were,
1: nine years old. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you you were you did that for a long stretch, and then you started getting on the road and all this. Um, how did you end up on the coast?
1: <laughs> uh, uh, I. Uh, uh, you've heard of the Heartbreak Hotel, Elvis. I was uh, playing a uh, a theme uh, theme restaurant in Memphis, and I'd put together this rockabilly band, and it was the Heartbreak Hotel, and uh, you know, Seven Piece Band, blah blah blah, uh, Sean Lane, uh. The fastest guitar player in the history of the world was my guitarist. History and of the world in the history of the world. You can Google him. Uh, he's been dead for oh, maybe ten or twelve years now. Uh, but but anyway, uh, uh, but uh, be that as it may. Uh, you know, of course, it was expensive and, and the big overhead, it was right down the street from Sun Studios and all that kind of stuff. And it takes a lot of money, you know, restaurant to run something like that. So I went from that to a, uh to that failed the restaurant and went from a seven piece van to a duo, Lonely Street Duo. And we had a house band and we played in Memphis for years. And uh I was going through partners and Uh, I was breaking in a new partner, and this agent who happened to be from Memphis, and I'd known him forever. He was a DJ in Memphis. He had moved to Pascagoula, and he booked me on a three night gig in Gulfport, Mississippi. And I met a girl, and again, on the road forever and ever and ever, and I was captured. And I was breaking in a new partner. And I had a a weekend open before I opened up in Myrtle Beach. And two weeks later, hi. You know what I mean? And the rest is history. Wow. Kind of a deal. I was captured. And so uh, uh, we were in Memphis for about a year. And when I made my announcement to my staff... That I was closing the store. Now that was 28 years ago. That uh, that my wife. It's this that? is yeah. This is my phone's ringing. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, she said we need a music store in Gulfport, Mississippi. I'm in Memphis. I said, Are "You crazy? We're in Memphis, and you're talking about a music store in Gulfport, Mississippi." And she ended up uh, being the smartest person in the room. Because Lord knows, it turned out great. (laughs) It turned out great. So I had 27 great years on the Mississippi Gulf Coast in retail. And of course, I had been working retail in Memphis for years.
0: Okay. Anytime
1: I I would be in town... There was two music stores in Memphis that Jim man, if you're in town, just come to work, you know, kind of a deal, salesman on the floor, kind of a thing mm-hmm. but that's how all of that started with me oh, I got you is uh just you know just luck total complete luck, you know sometimes better to be lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> Out
0: of all the places you've you've traveled, what's what makes the Gulf Coast so unique to you?
1: Now, see, this is going to be a really weird answer. Okay. Okay, and you're going to have to ride with me for a second. Sure. I'm from Memphis. Racism Martin Luther King was killed there. You know, uh, I I grew up in the 60s, you know, in Memphis and in the riots in Memphis and, you know, everything that happened in Memphis. Well, I moved to the Mississippi Gulf Coast and I truly thought they were punking me. (laughs) Truly did. Because I got here and... It was either eighty nine or ninety. Or ninety? And everything was so laid
2: back. Mm-hmm.
1: It was so laid back, and I was so used to just racism, racism, racism. Oh my God! It was so weird. Mm-hmm. But um, it took about two years for me to go. This is real. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's this little utopia. the Mississippi Gulf Coast, in over the last 27 years.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: I talk to people that come in the store because, you know, uh, create rapport. That's how you sell something. Rule number one, create rapport. I don't care what you're going to talk about. I like your shirt, your car looks good, or fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Kind of a deal. Uh, But uh, uh, it's... I would have other people from out of town that stumbled on the Gulf Coast.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And they go, is this real? I mean, really? Really? I mean, and I know you think you're looking at me like I'm from outer space, but...
0: No, no, no. No, I mean... I know what you mean. I mean, one of the biggest things people say that they love about this place is the friendliness of the people, and it's very laid back, and I think that's a lot in part due to the beach community, and just something about being close to water just makes people so much more liberal, you know? This isn't Mississippi. It doesn't feel it, like it. it. It used to be Florida, too. I mean, well, we it, could. We and could, it
1: was. The you know, this is Florida. But no, this is not Mississippi. You can go 60 miles north and you're in Mississippi. I don't want to get the letters. Okay. But anyway, but you get where I'm going. Uh, a really, really quick story. Mm-hmm. Uh, this happened, let's say, six months ago. A guy and his wife from the Air Force, let's say New York, wherever they were from. They were being forced to move here to the Air Force base, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'll quit the Air Force before I live in Mississippi." And I said, "No, you know, blah blah blah." So anyway, the the guy he walks in my store, and uh, he says, uh, "Let me see your banjos." I said. I carry a couple of banjos at Christmas, but besides that, we don't sell banjos. And the wife looks at him, and she said, I told you. He truly thought it was dirt roads, people walking barefoot, people hanging in the trees, and that is this whole national concept Of what we are supposed to be looking Mm -hmm.
2: like—that's
1: how ingrained that ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous uh, stereotype Mm -hmm. of what's supposed to be going on down here.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How pathetic! Twenty seventeen. Yeah. But anyway, you know. But but yeah, that really happened, Mm. and they stayed.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of people come through the military here, and then they just end up staying because they like it that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is unfortunate that the rest of the state that we're attached to,
1: America,
0: is, is behind. You know. America. America.
1: I mean, the way they look at us. And I know what you're talking about the northern part of the state, but, but yeah, the,
0: the. I mean, it's kind of pockets of it. I mean, oh, here, here in between Hattiesburg and then here in between Jackson, there's just, it gets rural again. And, you know, we are notoriously known for undereducated and, and undersupplied financially and the history of racism mm-hmm. and just, you know, Thinking wise, being a little bit behind the curve in in all those respects.
1: And and, and how much is deserved and how much is manufactured? Uh, I I have never seen in my life. And, you know, of course, I'm talking about the election right now. Talk about sore losers. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen anything in your life like this? It's just unbelievable. It's, uh, it's, it's one step away from a coup.
0: And where's it going to go from here now that people know that, you know, Trump, like guys like Trump can just become president. You know, if you've got enough money and power and influence, and that's how it's very hard to get in those top tiers, because if you're not backing one of the two sides that are up there, they just cut you out of frame. They will literally cut you out of frame, put you on TV, and just give you the farthest post and then keep the cameras on, you know, the majority on all the other people.
1: Oh, you know, and, and, you know, nothing's perfect. Uh-huh. But I tell you what, look at the last 40 years, why not try something new? Mm-hmm.
0: I mean I think that's what his big appeal was for a lot sure of people was, absolutely. and I and I was you know uh, in a lot of respects like because I I started reading his books from just a business standpoint and and hearing him talk and things like that um, so I kind of had that yeah. view of him before he even went into anything years sure. before it's not like he needs some money. No he doesn't i mean and, and, see, and he doesn't need anybody else's money and, and,
1: and that's and, 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 and we'll get off the politics but yeah. but 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 and and that's exactly what i say you and, know and and, and and you know I'm so sick of beating this horse that man if anybody in the world is doing it because he wants to make a difference
0: mm-hmm. you know you think he'd be the guy.
1: But, yeah, you know, in and, and good, bad, indifferent, mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't know all the rules. You're damn right he doesn't. Nobody because, does.
0: Nobody can know all the rules yeah, for that job. Right. You're a puppet figure to a degree.
1: You're right. You know, but anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. And and everybody's got their own agenda. Yeah. And when they woke up that morning went, oh, my God, <laughs> that didn't go right, did it? <laughs> but Anyway. Yeah, You know, so somebody will get over it sooner or later.
0: Yeah. Well, to come come full circle on, on what I had said is like, you know, of who it could be next, because now celebrities and stuff like that are going to start saying, you know, people like Oprah or Schwarzenegger or Jesse Ventura or Kanye West or whoever else, you know, they'll say, well, I've got money and people love me.
1: They ain't got that kind of money. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I know, I know. You're probably right.
1: <laughs> but he's self-financed.
0: But it shouldn't be about the money, and 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 if it gets to the point where it's people that get to have more say-so, that's the hard part, is making sure that it's Buying
1: influence, buying influence. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know. Interesting stuff, no doubt. Yeah,
1: it is. Interesting times.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So, what else is going on?
0: I I wanted to ask you some uh, questions related to uh, business, and I've got a couple here. Sure. Sure. One thing I wanted to know is uh, what's something that you wish someone would have told you when you opened your first business?
1: You know, uh, know, I told you that I worked at several stores in Memphis. Yes. And being able to learn the do's and don'ts on somebody else's dime. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Man, was that great. But... Everything changed. And, you know, like I said at the very beginning of this, uh, uh, I've got a friend that when I started out, I was a block and a half down the street. It was 12 foot wide, 40 feet long, with three light bulbs hanging out of the ceiling. And I had 4000 bucks, And that's how I started the first music store.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I had a kid who uh, would ride his bicycle to hang out at my store, and uh, and he ended up graduating cum laude, cum laude, cum laude from Mississippi State, whatever. Well, when he was going to college, I was telling him, I said, there's what's written in a book, there's what's happening now, and there's what's happening tomorrow. They haven't even printed the book yet, but you've got to put the right answers On the piece of paper, that mean nothing. Things are changing so fast. And, okay, here goes the old man thing. The internet. The internet will end up destroying this entire economy. Hide and watch, my friend. The malls will be closing. There will be no jobs. Uh, We are... Retiling our home. Lowe's, Home Depot, blah, blah, blah. 70% of everything's being drop shipped. They don't have it in the
0: store. 10% is what the guy said is what they carry in store, and the rest of their merchandise goes online.
1: Right, right. I mean, just think about it. How are you going to get a job? How are you going to get a job, man? If there's no jobs, you can't make a living. If you can't make a living, what was it all about? What, you went to college to get something to put in a frame that's useless? Mm-hmm. And, and oh God, here's gloom and doom again. It's reality. I did my 27 years and I had a great time. And the internet didn't run me out of business. I closed because I wanted to. 27 years. You know, come on, but
0: most businesses can't survive the first ten.
1: No, no, and and and, you know, and the funny thing is, already happening. Okay, and you've been in my store for years, blah blah blah. And I need a cord that goes from A to G. Well, gee, I can get that three dollars cheaper off the internet, but it's here now.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Are you stupid?
0: But, Mr. Jim, you can get two-day shipping with Amazon Prime. I needed it
1: now. Else. I needed this second to be on stage now. Oh,
0: the guy taking that perspective. Okay.
1: Now. Mm-hmm. $3. Mm-hmm. It's stupid. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you know, like I say, but I could have kept on doing that forever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't want to. I'm 62 years old. You know everything is kind of just, you know, leveled out, and I'm making some money. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm ready for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've done well. The building's mine. I own it. You know the inventory's mine. I own it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so
0: in property, something that's actually probably somewhat more stable than, that, than and, every and everything else.
1: And that's right. Yeah. Uh, and and of course. It'll be a doctor's office or a dentist office. It's 8,000 square feet.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's not some little 25 or 3,500 square foot building. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, and of course, location. Mm-hmm. You know, so perfect building. It's been on the market for six or eight weeks now that I've all but closed. And I'm doing school band rental. I'm working nine hours a week.
2: Yay! Sweet deal. Yep. Oh,
1: and by the way, news flash. Did it, did it, did it. Okay. For uh where okay, school's been out a month. The first week, oh, 16 or 18 people brought their trumpets and trombones. I'm not going to play next year. The second week, nine people. The third week, six people. Last week, three people. Well, I'm going to bring 14 skews of Ibanez Acoustic Guitars in. Just impulse buy from $129 to $299. Just something to sell. You know what I mean? You know, but no, I'm not going to have 400 guitars, you know, with a half a million dollars in inventory.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: No, just... Gosh, little Susie needs a little parlor-sized guitar, and I want to spend $129. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. And by the way, my my store manager, Ryan, he will be opening up Guitar Repair in about 10 days. Same building? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have Guitar Repair on one side, School Band Repair, I mean School Band Repair, rental on the other side beginning of the school year i'll go to five or six schools that i do every year and i'll rent my 150 trumpets trombones and clarinets i'm good <laughs>
0: <laughs> will you do service work on those ex- the existing uh, oh, people that keep their stuff over the length of the year
1: oh well you see that's uh i am an affiliate for the second largest school band rental company in the nation. And it's called Veritas. And it's a beautiful company. And the way it works is, you rent a clarinet. Okay? Your only legal obligation is to make three payments. It's September. Now it's Thanksgiving. Little Susie doesn't want to play clarinet anymore. Bring it back, you owe me nothing. Boom! You're not in some two-year contract. Mm. Okay, B side of it. Little Susie's clarinet's got a problem. You bring it in, I give you a loaner, fill out a ticket. Three weeks later, your clarinet's back. Little Susie's clarinet's back. Be there tomorrow. Thank you. That's it.
0: Hmm. Would you be able to do custom orders for people if they Such wanted, as, uh, I don't know, equipment or a guitar? Like if somebody wanted a specific thing and they wanted it to come through you first for some reason, or you could offer them some sort of incentive.
1: Well, and and is
0: it just too messy of a thing? And, even and,
1: and, and see everything, everything is dealerships, or uh,
0: they want to send you quantity.
1: Oh right, right. Yeah. You have you know this is uh, this is a big boy business.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If if you're not cutting checks for $50,000 and $100,000, go sit on the side. No, 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 no little boy business. Uh, and like I say, that's why I brought Ibanez back in. I was the largest Ibanez dealer forever. And it's great stuff. They're the third largest guitar company in the world. Fender, Gibson, Gibson, Fender. I'm bigger than you, who cares? But, uh, you know, you're paying for that decal mm-hmm. that says, Gibson, Epiphone, Fender, Squire. Ibanez, you're buying the guitar. And that's the beautiful thing about being the Ibanez dealer. It is the biggest bang for the buck, and it's great stuff. Mm -hmm. And, God, the return rate on Ibanez equipment, less than 1%, just like Yamaha. I was the second largest Yamaha dealer in the state. Less than a one percent return. Wow! I mean, how many companies can say that?
0: One percent of all their guitars.
1: Oh, PA speakers, everything.
0: Everything, all Yamaha.
1: Yamaha. Wow! Oh. What in user era? Uh huh. <laughs> but Yamaha, great stuff. Oh. Number one selling non-powered and powered speaker cabinet in America. Yama. Very cool. Yeah. And it, see, that was the whole thing, like uh, the Behringer thing. Mm-hmm. A 30% failure rate. How can you carry something that's got a 30% failure rate? So bad that Guitar Center Musician's Friend, I don't care how many they were selling, they were still losing money. Because the return ratio was so staggering. So staggering. A 30% return rate? Come on. I was on stage, you know, bass player. And Jim, I need a bass player. Man, can you come play? Sure. Long Beach. Uh, Similar similar mixer. It caught on fire. (laughs) Right on the stage just went boom. Flames shooting out of the back of it. <coughs> not kidding you. You
0: know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You get that with sometimes with products. Oh sure, just, sure. And you don't. You, if you deal with that, then you and your customers come to associate you with and, broken products. It's not good for business.
1: And that's the whole deal. There's two buyers. Hmm. Give me the cheapest thing you got, Mister. Or for twenty percent more, you can have Yamaha. And and that's the whole deal. And I refused and I always refused to sell crap because it's going to come back. Yeah. And then you got to service it. And then you got to loan them something. And then you got to go through the RAs and,
0: mm-hmm. ah, you know, just. What business principles do you believe are universal regardless of the type of business you're in?
1: Oh, wow. Um. If you can buy it at Walmart, if you can buy it on the internet, you can't be in that business. Nowadays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, you uh, uh, see, and, and God, I, I, I know I'm coming across so jaded, and I don't want to come across jaded. But, uh, uh, where 10 years ago and 15 years ago, service, 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 service. Man, service is everything. Try to find a service center for anything. you cannot find a service center for anything and nobody wants to pay for service but when it breaks they're the first ones to whine Mm. you get it but it's the truth
0: Mm. yeah because you got to call everything now for service right
1: oh yeah sure and send it back Mm -hmm. you know 10 years ago man uh, uh, I mean Dwight Teller Man, he can fix anything. You know, uh, Yamaha and Roland and all that. And he's still open, but but uh, very selective what he even works on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's all about that. It's uh, nobody wants to pay for anything until there's a problem.
0: And they want convenience, convenience, convenience. Sure. Yeah. So
1: anyway, th- you know that's that's the whole deal on that, and 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 see that that ramps into where you're going to work. See everything.
0: If technology t- takes all the jobs of what we got to do, yeah, there's going to be some sort of crazy shift in the way that people are going to have to work or not work, and or, or
1: oh, oh it's 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 really they're going to have to
0: adjust the money system or something like that. Are they going to give people enough to do? get by on basic living and then, you know, because I mean, it would be nice, I think to not have to go to jobs and stuff like that, like to just let technology automate a lot of things. But what are you going to do with the, you know, with all the people that are used to a system of capitalism and a system of, uh, of, of earning money by scale, and then all of a sudden you got the jobs taken up by technology. What do you do with all those people? I don't think anybody knows. Oh, oh,
1: this is the wild west, right? And, and you know, I I told you we're we're trying to uh, just put new floors in. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, it's it's time. You mm-hmm. know, kind of a deal. Yeah, just wouldn't believe uh, Sears came out, and on their website they had eighty different selections. says, know, we got twelve. Everything else is Mm drop-shipped. And this guy drove all the way from Pensacola to quote that gig, to install. He goes, I knew that this was going to happen. happens to me every day. This guy's out there trying to make a living. Drove all the way from Pensacola, and he knew in three minutes he wasn't going to make a nickel. Think about it.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean... Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, everybody's going to have to get jobs in transportation because it's all going to be shipped and uh, everything's just going to be online and then and then bought for. But then again, you probably won't need that because drones and automated vehicle drivings are going to be able to deliver uh, things to localized areas you won't have to do.
1: Yeah, you know, don't know the end result. And, and that's exactly what I say. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm not you. Yeah. He'll I mean,
0: be, we're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah, they're they're you know? gonna
1: pat me in the face with the shovel way before it gets critical on me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, the scary thing is, is I, I realize it a lot. You know, I get a you know a lot of people, um, you know, my grandparents and, and folks like that who have some of the same sentiments that uh, everything is changing, and I get it. You know, I get it from from the perspective of just what's going to happen and what's going to. Nobody knows. Uh, Nobody can say, like you say, it's the wild west. So it is. We're going to have to develop and grow with it. But something, something's, something's got to happen. And I don't, I just don't know. I don't know because then you got to rely on the people to to get it together. And are we in the right mindset to fix that kind of economic uh, concern? You know.
1: Wait. Now, are you aware that let's say ninety days ago, Mississippi, poorest state in the union, right? Or whatever. Okay, they were <laughs> going to do an internet Mississippi State sales tax. $50 million they would have collected. they went, like, nah, we don't need that money. Really? No. Now, what you really want to think about, who really made that decision? Who really made that decision that the state of Mississippi, their bridges are falling down. They can't pay their workers. They can't pay their teachers. They can't pay anybody, and they don't need fifty million bucks. Come on, mm-hmm. there's you know there's like I think eleven states collecting sales tax now or something like that. The state of Mississippi, yeah, we don't need fifty
2: million. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: come on. See, see, that's that big money. You know, in and, and, and oh god, now it's a conspiracy theorist. Come on.
0: Well, yeah, it's about connecting the dots. I mean, the system's so big. How sure. do you turn that ship around, you know?
1: You know, don't know. I like to say just the fix is in. Mm. But anyway, be that as it may. Man, I know, man, I'm drifting all. No, over this all is year. perfect.
0: No, this is exact This is this is the show. This is how it goes. Um, I do. Can I? I've been chugging water like crazy. Yeah, man. Do I'm what gonna you, take a two minute intermission. There you go. Um, can I get you? Anything? I know it's kind of no, close man, to I, dinner time. No,
1: no, I'm fine. You're good. Don't okay. worry about me. All right, I'll be right back.
0: Do apologize. I usually don't have to do that in the middle of the show, but Man, I've been trying worry. to stay hydrated. No worry. You can't about hold it. it in. Can't hold it in, folks. Um, no, this is good. This you're actually answering kind of all like a lot of my questions just through sure. telling stories and things like that. Um, getting back to to business and management and and uh, things of that nature, I wanted to ask you what kind of important factors. Um, Are there to consider when you're in a business that requires management of
1: people? Well, uh, I have have, uh, always been a karma guy. And and, I mean, to the max, treat people the way you want to be treated. And uh, and, uh, there's, I'm a salesman. I've got a high school education. Never one day of college, nothing, zero zip. You know, I was talking about the music stores in Memphis. Uh, you can go get two years of an associate, four years of BA, or I can teach you the laws of business in about 70 seconds. What school you want to go to, mine or yours? Mm. Create rapport, identify the need. Remove all objections, close the sale. That's it.
0: Mm. That's all you do. Mm -hmm. And in this area, uh, well, in the realm of music and, and business, experiential knowledge is oftentimes much more valuable than sitting in a classroom and reading books. And you can get out and learn a lot quicker, be in the trenches, make mistakes earlier, and be ahead of your peers at a younger age, you know, if you actually get out and start doing you know, as opposed to going to a, to a classroom. Oh, it's, study.
1: experiences everything. Yeah, it's, and that's why I was so successful. Yeah, you know, people would come and talk about the sound system. Jim, how do you do this? Here, let me show you how. Mm-hmm. And, and you earn that. You mm-hmm. earn that reputation mm-hmm. of uh, like uh, uh I taught at NASA for years. Yeah, you know, I've got seven sound systems out there, and. There'd be some admiral making a speech, and the system is down and I always equate it to uh, the pilots had a heart attack and <laughs> you know you know what I mean yeah. and 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 they grabbed a passenger, you got to land this plane and uh, I knew where all the systems were I knew what systems were and what buildings they couldn't get them up and I say, like, shut up and listen, this is what you're going to do. And I would tell them, go to Building C, grab that. You don't know, even, and I'd have them back up. Mm-hmm. Kind of a deal, and and you create that thing where they trust you, mm-hmm. and that's trust is just everything. Everything you can't buy trust,
0: right? And and loyalty, right? Why Why do you think through the years did your repeat customers select you over the competitors?
1: Gosh, okay, I've got a rule. Mm -hmm. I never talk about my competition, but I never get tired of my customers talking about my competition. And that is the truth. But I never, ever, ever talk about my competition. But I just know that my response from my customer base Mm -hmm. is so overwhelming. You know, too. And loyal. How do I do this? And it works. You know, whatever I told them, it was right. Instead of, well, I don't know, man. They're clerks. I'm not a clerk. <laughs> I'm not a clerk. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, uh, uh, I was building my own sound equipment in 1969. With a drill and wood and speakers and making my own crossover from Radio Shack. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing I had. There was nothing else. They weren't building it. You had to build it yourself. Wow. I mean, the back of a magazine. Have you ever heard of Heath Kit? You would, you would order parts out of the back of a magazine and assemble that's where you got your PAs
0: (laughs) Uh, how do you reinforce company philosophies and standards with your staff
1: Hmm. Uh, do the right thing every single time no matter how much it hurts do the right thing every single time now when the customer crosses the line you don't want to talk to me Because I will tell you, you have crossed the line with me, fella. And this is how we're going to resolve this. Don't come back. But no, no, no. Uh, If you do the right thing every time, at the end of it all, there's always the two or the three percent. We call them the beaters. The people that are just beating you to see how much they can get out of you. Mm -hmm. But... Once you start weeding out that two or three percent, do not come back in my store. Things are good, mm. but you know, I mean, it takes years to come comfortable with looking at somebody square in the eye and saying, "You are not going to treat me like that." You got to draw the line. Mm. People do anything you let them do to you. Yeah, that two or three percent. 95% of my my customer base. What a wonderful wonderful group of people.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, I've I've had a great time.
0: What about the challenges? Um this is kind of a a three-part thing, but what would you say the some of the biggest challenges that you faced during your 27 years at Pinkston's and were any of those challenges so great that, that, you, that they gave you reason to fear that your business might not continue to be successful? Um, and then kind of as it applies to that first or second question, how did you overcome those challenges? So biggest challenges, did you ever think those challenges would, would make you fail? And then how'd you overcome them?
1: Oh, well, diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. 20 years ago, there was list remember that word list price mhm <laughs> well take your Webster's dictionary and rip that page out of the dictionary because list doesn't exist anymore
0: is that what msrp is now
1: yeah manufacturer suggested retail price and then there's map price see there was no such thing as a map price that's a manufactured word that came out in the last 15 or so years. Again, before the internet, there were catalog magazines, which was either a 20 or a 25% discount. And they called that MAP, Minimum Advertised Price, where the customer was going to get a discount, but yet the dealer, there was enough margin that they could still afford to carry it because what you have to understand, I'm sitting there on a half a million dollars to sell you a $4 cord. Wow. You have to have a margin. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but that's... So, to bring that forward and this... Okay. um, Oh, God. Not eBay. What's, what's, what's the big, what's the big internet thing?
0: You got eBay, you got Amazon. Amazon,
1: okay. Uh, where we were lucky enough, uh, musician's friend was bought by guitar center. Uh, like the guitar center that was in New Orleans. That was originally a musician's friend, a brick and mortar building. And guitar center said, nah, 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 wait a minute. We're going to let them do the Internet. We're going to buy a musician's friend. They already got the Internet, the catalog magazine thing going. We'll be the brick and mortar. And we'll own both. And that's how they got away with not collecting sales tax. Okay? So, anyway, they were the nemesis for the independent music stores. And about 60% of all the major music stores... Went out of business in the last twenty years. Well, in the last three years, where Guitar Center, Bain's Capital, and here I am, you know, like uh, Mitt Romney and all that. Uh, you remember eight years ago, Bain's Capital in the election and all that. Do you even okay? Guitar Center is a pimple on Bain's Capital's portfolio okay well nobody's making any money again it goes back to that well gc's aren't doing well because now amazon is just drop shipping straight from the manufacturer so gc can't make any money so nobody can make any money and we were just lucky enough, and with all this stuff going on in Iperville, they're going to pop up a little 10,000-square-foot store in the next year or two because they have to keep opening. If you're not expanding, you're not expanding. Get it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, but you can't afford to expand because you got to be open seven days a week from 11 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night, and that takes employees in a shopping mall that you're paying $36 a square foot for every day. See, everything goes back. The whole conversation goes back. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, you know, I mean... You and le- actually leading into that...
0: um of businesses failing and burning out and kind of just, you know, fading out pretty early. Um, I had a a kind of a specific question about that. Um, And I kind of want to read this snippet of this article to kind of give folks, listeners a a reference point to kind of what we're talking about and what kind of statistics we're referring to here. And this is uh, an article from Gretchen Schmidt from fondera.com. So there are twenty eight 28.8 million small businesses in the United States, according to the US Small Business Administration, and they have 56.8 million employees. Small businesses defined as businesses with fewer than 500 employees account for about 99.7% of all businesses in the US. So how often do small businesses fail? About two thirds of businesses survive two years in business Half of all businesses will survive five years, and one-third will survive ten. Does that sound kind of... Oh, yeah, scary, ain't it? The longer a company has been in business, the more likely it is that they will stay in business. It's those first few years that are the hardest. The Bureau of Labor Statistics also tracked business survival across industries and concluded that these statistics are pretty much consistent regardless of the industry. So, statistically, we know running a small business is no easy feat, but occasionally, there are individuals to stay in the game for longer than most, as, as you have. Uh, but there are, is almost always comes a time when the doors must close for good and the business is terminated. That being said, there is a difference between uh, a business failing and a business making a graceful exit from an industry or a market to minimize damages, whether it be financial damage or... Dissatisfaction to employees or customers. And I think this is largely uh, attributed to proper timing and smart managing of resources. Uh, if done correctly, I think a business owner can walk away from said closure with a better ability to begin another venture without having to recover from those losses and still have gained maximum benefit from the venture, leaving owners, employees, and customers at a happy endpoint, essentially. All that being said, what advice can you give? Business owners on reading the market, knowing when to strategically exit from a business venture to minimize the company damages and the personal losses.
1: Well, um, my industry, you know, I was, you know, big boy industry. You know, it's so expensive. It's so expensive to be in the music business. I mean, you know, again, you know, I mean, we're not talking about. A dollar and 99 cent tie or anything like that. I mean, you know, you get it. You know, it's half a million dollars of inventory, half a million dollar building, million dollars all day long. Mm-hmm. Every day you own it. And if you don't have it, either you're in or you're out. Mm-hmm. You can't be. Oh, well, we, you know what I mean? You know, you, you just can't be. Um, but it's it's not how much money you're making. It's how much money it costs you to make it. Uh if if you will look at at just money invested versus return. A million dollars or $5,000 for a hot dog cart. Now, let me keep going here. for a motorized hot dog cart that you could sell a hot dog and a Coke for $5. Downtown Gulfport, if you could get a permit, you could break even in six months and have a college kid just three nights a week doing his little hot dog cart. How long would it take you to break even on a million Everybody eats hot dogs and nobody's complaining about $5. (laughs) Okay, okay. so it's diminishing returns and it always comes back to that. Mm. What is your gross profit? How much at the end of the day was that bottle of water? And that's the whole problem with everything. And at the end of the day it's all over 15 percent truly that might stand i I charge 30 dollars for that stand and you can get it for 26
0: yeah <laughs> you know mm-hmm.
1: and that's what it's all about yeah but now nobody's got a job and nobody's paying inventory tax or property tax or sales tax or anything else. Well, how's that teacher gonna get paid? hmm See, the ah
0: ah. Yeah, the cycle. The cycle. Um, how do you think performance art side of the music industry is changing for players?
1: Oh, what an idiot. I get I get people that come in. Do you know what full sale is? Full sale? Uh, full Sail uh, Recording School. Yes. I have had, over the years, over the years, these kids that, that sign up, and however much money it was to sign up to go to that school for a recording engineering degree, not one person have I ever met got a job. And they're paying that student loan. They're paying it. A liberal arts. Are you kidding? With that and about 10 bucks, you can still go to Starbucks and get something to eat. It's not tangible. Hmm. Liberal arts. Hmm. You know, and man, I know that, hey, man, I'm doing that. Well, you're stupid. You're stupid. Man, you've got to have something to make a living. Hate to be the bearer of bad news.
0: I went to USM originally for the entertainment industry. Mm. And and I was doing their program there. And they had this guy uh, who was overhead in the department. And it seemed all cool. It was cool people. And, you know, but after a year, I started questioning.
1: They sold it to you. Because they, they had to fill that seat, yeah. and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Because, see, they got a quota. And see, people don't think about that. That guy that's get, trying to get you to sign up for that class, he's not your friend. He's got to fill that classroom. That's his job. Yeah. Ulterior motives. Yeah.
0: School's a business. Yeah, it is. It is.
1: Sure it is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, you know, I mean,
0: well, I dipped out of it though. I mean, I got it. I went and found a different degree and mm-hmm. um, and pursued that instead because I said, well, I know, I know in this field, and that was another thing is like I'm I'm kind of passionate about this, so I'm probably going to continue on and and learn. You know, and, and keep up with it. As long as you keep up with something and t- continuously yeah. practice at it, you're going to learn and you're going to pick up. And right. here I am doing this. I got my guitar and music sure. stuff. And... and there's
1: nothing wrong with that. You're mm-hmm. just not depending on it.
0: Correct. I didn't spend a lot of money to get the thing that ultimately is kind of the direction already I want to do without it. So well, you know. and,
1: and that's the point. Man, look, uh, life is an adventure. Mm-hmm. life is an adventure and I've had a great life and I've had a great adventure but you know there's there's plan A mm-hmm. and then there's things that make you happy
2: mm-hmm.
1: well plan A and things that make you happy may be two completely different things
2: mm-hmm. yeah.
1: but you have to be happy too so yeah. I mean you know I hope that makes sense
0: yeah absolutely absolutely And unfortunately, some degrees are tied to jobs that are more prominent and still available in the country and stuff like that. So, yeah, I know what you mean. you got to be careful with what you do and where you're putting your money. Once again, it is a business. It's an
1: investment in life.
0: It is. It is.
1: I have two boys.
0: Even doctors, not to cut you off, but even doctor's degrees, they have huge, huge loans to pay back, even after they get that top-level, always-in-demand job, you know. Mm -hmm.
1: My my oldest son, uh, he'll be a doctor in three years. He's a uh oh gosh, I never say this right. A, a clinical therapist. And uh uh he uh he got his master's from Tulane mm-hmm. and graduated from Ole Miss. And uh he's doing great. And my youngest son is uh a sergeant in intelligence in the army. Mm-hmm. And he's a little walking computer. I mean but I mean, and he's killing it, kind of a deal, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but they are both doing extremely well, but you know, they have a goal, mm-hmm. and I, I've tried to teach them to be goal oriented, you know, because if you don't have a goal, you're just washing around. And, ah, you know, I'm sorry, man, you know, but 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 yeah, you know, keep your eye on the ball, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, how many. How many different little scenario uh, phrases are there out there
0: mm-hmm Yep. yep, um, going back to um, what I asked about performance music industry it changing for the players um, within the realm of music and the music industry, who comes to mind uh, today when you think of the world word successful
1: in mm, what and what do you mean uh be more
0: uh well, I guess success would be based on your determination of what you see as success. So just within the music industry at large, or or um, I, I never asked you, I mean, I assume that you're a fan of actual music in itself, right? I mean, oh, yeah. uh, of, sure. of, you know, so I mean, just anybody within the industry, whether they're working it as performers, or there's someone in the business or management side of it. Um, are there people, and it doesn't have to be today, necessarily, it could be. Uh, somebody from the 60s or 70s when the system was, you know, favorable. Who do you think of? Uh, what, what kind of team or a band or, you know, a good manager for a band or something like that?
1: Oh, well, I, uh, one, of, one of my favorite jokes is, uh, okay, you know, uh, Hard Rock, Boavage, every night, every night there was a band that was someplace else last night. And something broke. Okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the road manager, he's at the hard rock or the bow and he goes, Man, my amp went out. My backup amp's not working well. What do I do? Who do I call? Well, they call Jim. Because, you know, that's the kind of store we were, mm-hmm. right? And so uh it it would be uh you've got all these bands. And I call them touring for T-shirts. How many shows have you been to where they jump off stage and before you can get out the front door, they're standing at a counter selling a CD and a T-shirt? Right? Correct. Because they're not making any money. (laughs) They're not making any money.
0: They're trying to merchandise now. Yeah,
1: it's it's nothing but, again, touring for Mm T-shirts. I laugh. I laugh at them. They're so funny. Because that's all they got. Three T-shirts. What size do you want it in? Hurry, hurry, hurry! You know what I mean. Just, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, which takes away from the performance art aspect of it. You know, well, it's after the show. Yeah, yeah, but they're forced to kind of transition. Uh, that's you know? right, and, and don't and,
1: forget the merchandising tables yeah. out front. You know, doing but, it independently. Sure, you know. but but that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But uh uh. In the day, you would actually have a recording contract. Well, uh, what was a chick's name, uh, Taylor Swift or whatever? Where uh, you know somebody was trying to, you know, sell her stuff or whatever. She goes, "No, you can't sell my record. I'm going to make money off of my record. Uh, you know, and nobody can make. Gosh, man, I know I'm just beating you to death on this, but nobody can make any money. It's just stupid."
0: So did she? she's selling her like she didn't take contracts. She was well, just doing it independently, or well, yeah,
1: yeah. She, uh, this was let's say two years ago now, okay. and and I, I'm positive it was Taylor Swift. Okay. She had released she had released a CD or whatever, and let's say it was Amazon. And I don't remember the you know the things, but she goes, "You're not selling it because they were like, like where you don't buy a CD, you're buying one song." Mm-hmm. No, if you want my CD, you're gonna buy my CD,
2: mm. right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You know all the musicians, all the producers, all the people that worked on that CD, and you want to buy one song. Mm-hmm. Who's that fair to?
0: And so she said no to that. No, which is impressive for an right. artist of her caliber. Right, right. You know right. that kind of influence.
1: But but anyway, you know that's the whole reality of it. Mm-hmm. Is is, you know, there's no recording contracts.
0: Yeah, because people are doing it largely independently now. They sure. can get the equipment and the know-how and the technology is getting good enough to where they can just go in, throw it in a computer, edit it and all, which still, I mean, granted, there's still magic to be had. You know, uh, I'm not a huge fan of digitally. Uh, the tools are, are a lot simpler and all that, but I like analog. I mean, the best sound of music to me is 60s and 70s music. Sure. You know, it's close to pure and honest, sure. uh, micing them up in playing, you know, live performances and things like that. But the artists are taking the direction that they're trying they to survive and they can afford and then they can charge it independently digitally. They don't even have to do CDs and they're saving costs on that. So I mean, it's just people are still kind of figuring out what the right model is for each individual.
1: And it goes back to what I said 5 minutes ago, mm-hmm. touring for t-shirts. I mean, you know, uh, they're making some chump amount of money mm-hmm. to do the gig, and hope to God they got uh, they they were good at the table that night. Because mm. you know, like, see, they're killing time. They got a forty-minute show. Well, where do you think they're hanging out? At my place. <laughs> they're hanging out at my place on Saturday because they don't go on till nine. And they got to get out of the hotel room, just like the hotel room they were in the night before, the night before, the night before, because everything's a fly date. Mm-hmm. And they either rent the back line, and that's, and that's what's happening now, where the drummer, he will carry his cymbals in a snare, the guitar player will have two guitars, and there's, there's two companies on the coast. It, of course, I know. You know what I mean? And you know what a rider is?
0: Mm, is that A, a
1: that? rider is, is it's a list of, I want this amp, this amp, or this amp. This, amp. this bass amp, this bass amp, this bass amp. This set of drums, this set of drums, this set of drums. I got you. And you have to fulfill that rider or we're not playing. Okay. But they were cheap. So it's cheaper for the casino to rent the back line. Mm-hmm than to pay the band to pull a 40-foot trailer. Oh. See? that's, that's the So way it,
0: musicians are going around now with minimal equipment? Right. Uh,
1: They're fly dates.
0: Uh, either, either I've always wondered how you could minimize road sure. travel without having to right, right. haul a bunch of shit no,
1: around. No, no, man. It's fly dates. No, no. Back line. Rent your back line uh, and... You walk on, you do your sound check at four, and you go back up to your room, eat, take a shower, go to the bar, go do your 40 minute show. Where are we going to do one on call or two? Good night. Thanks a lot.
0: Is this just for mostly major bands, or can even young guys, up-and-coming bands, are, can they get access to this affordably? Well, or? they can't
1: afford to rent a back line.
0: I mean, if it was just minimal stuff that they were ordering for, I guess. Uh,
1: I mean, you know what I mean? And, and it's just, uh, it's, it's, you know, what room are they playing? Mm-hmm. What room are they playing? You know, uh, uh, what, they're like, you know, again, okay, the hard rock, that little bar in the middle mm-hmm. with all that PV equipment in it that's on a half of a one that sounds so terrible because uh, you've got the boss's pit of poker over here and then table games over here where well, they got these big walls of stuff, and, and you know, they got the plexiglass everywhere trying to mute everything. Well, you play guitar, you know if you're not pushing a speaker, you're not getting any tone, right? Well, they've got this big round, they've got $75,000 worth of equipment on a half of a one. How could it possibly sound good? Possibly. It's impossible. Hmm. You know, but it looks cool.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: No. You know what I mean? It's it's all smoking mirrors. Mm-hmm. But they supply the sound system. You roll your bass amp and your guitar amp. The drum booth. They've even got an air conditioner in the top of it. You've seen it, right? At the hard rock?
0: Not that. Not yeah. that uh...
1: Yeah, man. It's a plexiglass octagon. Okay. With, because, do you think that pit boss is going to listen to that set of drums? No. So, completely isolated, and they got a sound man that is afraid to move a slider a hundred thousandth of an inch. Because that pit boss is going to be all over him. hmm Well, that's your gig. <laughs>
0: um... I wanted to ask you a question about communication. You have a very distinct way of speaking, uh, a charisma style that I'm sure comes from years of performing on stage and talking to people in a personal setting, in a business setting. Uh, can you explain how you came to develop your communication skills?
1: Wow. Uh, you know, I've got people that think I'm from England, my voice.
0: Okay, I can see
1: that. Uh, uh, I traveled... So much, so, so much that I picked up so many accents. But uh, the number one thing that I learned, my father had a seventh grade education, uh, grew up in the Depression, blah, 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 blah. It, but uh, the number one thing that he taught me, and it's what made me really good in business, was to be an instant judge of character, especially when you were out of town and you were the stranger. Everybody knew everybody and you knew nobody. And to be able to talk to somebody for 15 seconds and more than not, nail them. Who are they? What are their true intentions? Because when you're out there and you're 19 years old, you can get hurt. you got to have good intuition. Yeah, you do. And it served me well. It really, really served me well. And I got better as I got older. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, judgment of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you Well, you get it.
0: Yeah, I get it. Is there anybody in particular that you ever learned from, whether it was listening to them speak or maybe... Um, an author, somebody, who's no. an effective communicator. You just lived life and learned uh, along the way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, just playing it by ear. Yeah. <laughs> Good, bad, indifferent. It's part of the adventure, right? Yeah, part of the yeah. adventure, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, just playing it by ear. Because believe me, I wouldn't write all the time. Yeah. But as I got older, when you do it every single day, You'll get good at anything.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you see, what is the definition of insanity? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, do you have any history of radio?
1: Yeah. I was a DJ in Memphis. WSWM, FM 92 Memphis. Okay. That's right. Uh, Rhodes University. Mm-hmm. was It used to be Southwestern University. And... Uh, I was a, a, a public radio. Uh, I did it for a little bit. Uh, I was a DJ in Memphis mm-hmm. live because, you know, uh, as I told you, I approached everything as a business. Mm-hmm. And uh, if there wasn't money at the end of it, you didn't see Jim. Okay. But, but, but yeah, it was, uh, uh, I did a lot of DJ work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having a great time. 70s and 80s
0: man yeah wow i'm sure
1: yeah it's fun sure.
0: <laughs> uh sometimes i wonder if i was born born in the wrong era. yeah i watch the woodstock documentaries and i watch uh like the last waltz and Jimi hendrix and mm-hmm. just different people and just like man what a far out time Because so you got a lot of the uh festivals today and you get a lot of the the bullshit music. Yeah. You get the DJ, or not the, the DJs, but the guys, the laptop guys. Ugh. And then just the caliber of musicianship is a little
1: now, let me ask you a question. Sure. Okay, like Steven Colbert or whatever the hell his name is, mm-hmm. and uh Jimmy Kimball and whoever the other guy is. Okay, they have like musical guest. Mm-hmm. Is it really music?
0: Don't know. I haven't watched any of those shows.
1: I, I mean, man, I look at that, and it's it's not even a band. It's it's just it's just a thing. Yeah. I mean, you know what I'm saying. It's 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 not natural. Right. Looking. It's 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 all so techno and fake. I mean, those guys are singing. Yeah, it's they're not
0: a, doing any anything intricate, really. It's just kind of a bunch of noise, beginning and ending in unison.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got it. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sitting there watching them, and you know, the song they're screaming their ass off, right? Mm-hmm. And their juggler veins aren't even moving. Mm-hmm. Mm, come on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, let's lip sync it.
0: Yeah. And they missed out on the culture too I think that probably had a lot of influence in the music that was coming out of the 60s and 70s I imagine.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, it was live every time.
0: Right. I, and the reason I think that music was so good and and put out so well is because I think that the technology was at such a point where it was the best it had been to record and capture and produce the sounds and things like that. But it wasn't the technology wasn't so good that you could fake it. That you could run it through a computer or have, you know, this or that. So you still had to be a good musician. You had to be writing good stuff. And
1: you don't have serious radio on your car, do you?
0: I had it shortly for a for time.
1: Okay, you know, the, the Beatles. Okay. Right. Um, uh, TASCAM 3340 was the first four track. And like, I see you got a Les Paul copy over there. Okay, now do you know what Les Paul's biggest achievement was? Stereo. Did you realize that? Les Paul invented stereo. Andy Williams Moon River, he gave him, okay, it was after World War II. Germany had been working on stereo, the Nazis. Okay. And anyway, uh Les Paul Him and his wife, Les Paul and Mary Ford, they came out with, uh, like I say, uh, uh, he gave them some money and they invented where everything was mono. The Beatles, their first three albums were mono. Mm -hmm. Well, they were able to sync, the word sync, two monos together to have left and right. And of course, Les Paul was the father of stereo. So that's where all that came from. Well, it went from two-track to TIAC had a four-track, a 3340. Well, George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, he goes, God, man, four tracks is great, but, man, just think if we had eight tracks. So they took two 3340s and hardwired them. But, of course, the tape would get dirty. So they could only track one time, Mm -hmm. but they had eight tracks, Oh gosh, that was the world, and that's why all those Beatle albums were just so fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then the Beach Boys were right behind them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So anyway, that's the way all of that evolved. Mm-hmm. But yeah, man, it was Les Paul that and Andy Williams that that made stereo a thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, they uh, and I here I'm in the weeds again. I forget like him and his wife. Uh, went on TV and said, here, here's how we do an album. And at a little bitty, little bitty table. And he played a guitar part. And then his wife, she was a dynamite guitar player. She played a guitar part. Then he went, dink. And both of them played at the same time. Whole world went, wow!
0: <laughs> what, um, if you had to pick some of the top performances that you probably ever saw. I mean there are there artists that jump to the top of your mind.
1: Oh God. Paul McCartney. Um you know who Stanley Clark is, right?
0: Stanley Clark.
1: Bass player. Greatest one of the bas- greatest bass players in the world. Okay, anyway, anyway, uh Stanley Clark is being interviewed, just like you're interviewing me. And uh and so uh this chick says uh, man who's your favorite bass player? And he looked at it and goes Paul McCartney. She said, Paul McCartney? He goes, When's the last time you ever heard anybody humming anything I ever recorded? <laughs> you know, because he's yeah. well is is what I was talking to you about when I asked if you had Sirius Radio. Uh they have all these interviews right now. They have a Beatles channel one right this second, okay? And uh and John Lennon would, would be recording a part, and McCartney, he would record... See, he didn't play the bass part. If you listen to a Beatles album, it's a cello part. They were English. They weren't hearing music the way you and I were Americans. They were classical. And he would record his bass part way after everybody else... Nah. He wasn't worried about his bass part. Mm-hmm. But he was playing cello lines. Oh wow. Yeah. Listen to Beatle albums. Especially after you get into Abbey Road and all of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've got
0: most of their albums.
1: Oh man. He's a monster bass player. Yeah. Monster. And uh I'm a bass player. And I was always in duos and trios. Mm-hmm. And yeah and in uh in Memphis. Uh as far as uh, recording studio, don't hire Pinkston alive. Hire Pinkston because you know, badass bass player, not in a recording studio, too busy. You know, in a studio, solid notes, mm-hmm. you the best bass player in the world, you never heard him. you never heard the best bass player in the world. You get what I'm saying to you, right? Mm-hmm. But live, man, I'm three people on stage singing lead back up in front of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, so...
0: Which is, was a more common thing in the 60s and 70s, going back to that again, as opposed to today, where some guys just do one simple job, and it's simple. Sure. And that just goes into the collective of the thing.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But, but yeah, man, that was... And you know that's why I was so successful. I was a front man, you know and and uh uh, like I play a Roland bass guitar synthesizer. There was less than three hundred of them ever sold in all of North America, and uh completely polyphonic. still, I have it to this day,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's the most advanced bass ever made where, you know, I could be doing the Memphis horns and a bass part at the same time. How cool. And, well, you know, I was talking about Sean Lane. Okay, you know who Billy Gibbons is. Okay, Billy Gibbons sold his Rowan synth to Sean Lane, who sold his synth to my partner. Okay. Okay, so, so my partner had the guitar rig, I had the bass rig, and we had analog drums. So we were touring as a five-piece band as a duo. Very cool. Money. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is a huge thing. I mean, when you're trying to minimize how, well, I guess minimize the people in the band so that you can get, you know, more of the cut. And, oh, and oh, just-
1: sure, man. I, uh, we had, you know, had my own little diesel rig mm-hmm. pulling a trailer. Two man band, keep the overhead low and make the money high. Yeah, I mean, you know, what else? Why else would you be out there mm-hmm. if, if you weren't doing that?
0: Yeah, gotta enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
1: Or work at Waffle House. Hey,
0: <laughs> is there any genre of music that uh, you think others would find unusual or perhaps uncharacteristic of you? You got any guilty pleasures?
1: I've always been so commercial uh but uh, okay, you know rap and and da, ba, 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 ba. uh of course, it, you know all these home studios and, and stuff like this, and you see how can I say this um uh, especially at Christmas and stuff like that there's always a chick, and the guy's hooked her into buying some recording equipment, you get it
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and in anytime. I can take a guy and say, hey man, you want to do something different? And they look at me and go, What you mean, man? Okay, I say, This is what I want you to do. Have you ever heard of the Beatles? And I'm just pulling that out. You wouldn't believe how many people say no. And how many I,
0: young kids say no? Yeah. Gotta be young kids. Right, right. And,
1: right. and and I say, You're doing the same thing that every one of your friends are doing, right? And if I you see, and I have to feel it in that customer that he's open to that conversation, and I say, "This is what I want you to do: the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, or, or just pick it. They, they've, they've sold a hundred million albums. Does that mean anything to you? That if any band that sold a hundred million albums, you might want to check them out." you think that they they just might be have something that you don't know about just pick their 10 top selling songs and see if you can find one phrase just one phrase that you can use to make you different than every one of your friends that are doing the same thing over and over Again. Yeah. And if I, and I've had a couple of dozen people over the years that, man, I did that. And in my chick, because they can download it for free, it didn't cost them nothing. You know? And they go, yeah, man, we got a few ideas. And I listen to some stuff that I would have never heard in my life. But of course, 95% of them, no. But somebody willing, they were interested enough in trying to be unique to their situation to invest the time. Mm -hmm. And that shows to me that they actually want to do something. Mm -hmm. Because no skin off my nose. Just keep on doing what your friends are doing. Sitting in their living room. Talking about. When I become a star, come on.
0: Yeah. A lot of kids have the idea of what they're going to be, but they don't necessarily know how they're going to get there. And I guess like you said, they work within certain parameters that everybody else works in. It doesn't differentiate, and then it also saturates the market with subpar content.
1: I had a school system to remain unnamed, and they were having a problem with a student, okay? And this student, he was going to be an artist and a rapper and, you know, all these things, and he wasn't interested in reading, writing, and arithmetic because he was going to be a star. And they had these this board of 20 teachers, and they called me in. For advice, because I'm in the music business. And I sat there and I listened to these teachers talk to this kid and his mother and petting him on his back how he's going to be so great. And all they were trying to do is to get him out of the school. To say, we try. Okay, you, you see the scenario, right? hmm So I listen to about five or six of them. Fill this kid full of C-R-A-P. And I stand up and I say, every single one of y'all should be fired. You should be fired, thrown out of your classes for what you're trying to do to this kid. You're trying to feed him... A dream that will never come true. The the mathematical odds of him making a dime of you. Oh, look at that doodle that you're making. You can become an artist. I mean, truly. They're just trying to get rid of him. Say, so we did everything. He just wouldn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. They were going down the checklist. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I walked out of the meeting after about the fifth one. Years later, I bumped into one of the teachers. And they said, and she leveled with me. And she said, you called it. She said, you were exactly right. We had to. We had to go through all these steps. You know, because we would have been sued. Well, the kid came to my store years later, too. And, I mean, you know, it was he was too young to understand what was going on at the time. I never told him about running into the teacher, but reality finally caught up with him. He's a welder, and he's making a living. But true story. But they had to. They they had to. You know all these laws. You know what I'm saying, man, is they they you know, they you know, oh my god, if we don't do this, there's gonna be a lawsuit. You know, that's how socially correct. What word do you want to use? Mm. But yeah, true Social
0: story. justice warriors. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah.
1: Yep, yep, yep. But that's a true, true story.
0: That'll be one aspect of business you you're happy to leave behind, huh? Not having to deal with the pettier side of business.
1: Oh, you know, look, and I was happy to help if it would have been true. Mm -hmm. But they were just playing the game. And what choice did they have? Hmm. But anyway, just another crazy story in life, man. Yeah. Yeah. Of everything that I've experienced in my life. It's been a good
0: ride, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. Good adventure.
1: Yeah, it has. It's been a great life.
0: That's awesome.
1: Uh, Every year... uh, it's a wonderful life Jimmy Stewart
0: <laughs> comes on Christmas Eve. Yeah,
1: I, I see it every year. Uh I've got an apartment and I've got a uh, 26 pieces. And it's every building uh you know uh the the little town and everything and it's all backlit and all that and mm-hmm. I turn it on on Thanksgiving and I turn it off on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Just because I want to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well mr jim do you have any other uh plans outside of of what's going to happen once everything i mean itch it has kind of settled off and all that you told us about the the renting business of equipment and things like that do you have any other side projects planned or what do you like to fill your time with when you're not doing you know music related stuff
1: well uh, gosh uh closing pinkston music inc Woo! I mean, I'm still not closed. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh and and I'm getting down to it, mind you. Mm-hmm. You know, getting down to it. Uh,
0: yeah, we got I kinda kept coming to back to see, you know, how you were doing with your progress and you always still had stuff and you were always still kind of selling. So
1: you know, and again but
0: you wanted to do it with integrity, right? You right. didn't want to make the market, you know, be I, I bad for the local it. area. Right, right. I
1: right. Didn't want to flood it, but and it all goes back to everything's paid for. Mm-hmm. I don't owe nobody nothing. And so, the building's mine. The equipment's mine. Everything's mine. Uh, So, you know, I mean, I'm still doing a couple of thousand dollars a week. Just piddling around. What's wrong with that?
0: Nothing wrong at all. (laughs) You
1: know, And, and like I say, I've got a I've got a uh, 30 Ibanez guitars mm-hmm. that'll be here next week. 13 SKUs. That's it. 129 to 299 Impulse buy. Kind of a deal. And then before you know it, it'll be the beginning of the school year. And then before you know it, it'll be Christmas again. Yep. Everything's a cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I can't sell a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, in closeout, generally I ask uh, guests, you know, where people can go to keep up with them. You know, I, you're probably not much of a social media guy or nothing nah. like that. But is there anywhere where, you know, if, if people want to, you know, see your business progress or anything like that, or is it just kind of, you, you know, where you're at?
1: You know where I'm at. Yeah. 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 yeah you know where I'm at. Uh, I'll be there, and then uh, when the building sells, I'll be someplace else. Yeah. <laughs> i'm i'm not really sweating it one way or the other
0: i hear you well mr jim thank you so much for coming out and uh doing this this is really cool i mean for years coming to your store i've always thought man it wouldn't it be something if i could just get this guy to sit down you know for a couple minutes and just hear him talk at length you know since i was man. like 15 or 16 and here i am at 27 doing it you know it's kind of cool for me and
1: I appreciate you inviting me. I've I've really enjoyed this. Uh, I've I've done many many interviews over the years, mm. uh, but in in I always enjoy, you know, the the one on one kind of a thing mm. like this. But but yeah, uh, I, I've really enjoyed this, man. You got a neat little thing here.
0: Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. And hey, you know, with all that free time. If, you know, you ever want to fill it with some way, I feel like we've only scratched the surface in a lot of areas. You've got an open door to come back anytime you want. So oh,
1: thank you, man. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the
0: years it. of service. Um, So that's all folks. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. You can check out more of the podcast at coastalnoise.com. Be on the lookout for future shows. I've been in talks with uh, David Elliott at WLX. We're looking to record a show here. Hopefully after this weather blows through, uh, Dave says hi, Jim.
1: Oh, okay. Hi Dave.
0: (laughs) My podcast with uh, Blackwater uh, Blackwater Brass is uh, still a possibility. We got kind of pushed back, had to push dates back, but it's still on the table. So other than that, I'm talking to, Uh, a friend and a military specialist about recording an episode on survival situations um, and all kinds of emergency and post-apocalyptic scenarios. Uh, As some of you know, I've been talking a lot about some aspirations to purchase and custom build a camper van in the future and do some uh, traveling through the U.S. Plans that I talked about extensively on uh, the Mantra and Macros podcast. It was like episode 38 or something like that few weeks back and um, all of those said aspirations I've gotten got me reaching for books that deal in similar subject matter regarding van life extended camping and so forth so um, I thought what better way to prepare for the unknown than by studying uh, in-depth military grade survival skills so I've uh, done a little bit of research and I came across the uh, British special air services survival handbook written by uh, John Wiseman first published in like 1986. Uh, it's had several upgrades and additions since then, uh, but it's still kind of like an industry standard um, for survival stuff. Um, and uh, so I've been talking to my buddy uh, in the military about some things, and he knows a lot of stuff because he's, you know, line of work. So uh, we've been talking um, just for my sake to preserve that information because it's so much that I talk to him about of just bringing him in here and doing a podcast and then in return releasing it uh, so you can guys can hear it too in case uh, – Things go down and you want to be prepared. Hey, weather like this, you need to have a to go bag at least that you can just pick up and go survive somewhere for a while. So,
1: well, uh, just go break in a half a second. My wife and I, do you know what we call camping? What's that? Holiday Inn Junior, Motel Six. That's <laughs> that's what we call camping. <laughs>
0: yeah. You yeah. don't do, not you are not an RV man. You never aspirations uh, for an RV. Oh,
1: uh, I had an RV when the boys were small. Yeah. Uh, we were, uh, members of martin lake resort mm-hmm. and you have a little pool and we had a great time when they were seven to 11 years old but no after that uh i want to shower color tv <laughs> <laughs> uh, honey uh ham and turkey <laughs> yep. yeah the are. conveniences get yeah, nice yeah, right yeah yeah that's that's what we call camping yeah it? that's our inside <laughs> joke i
0: like it i like it um So hopefully we'll be getting him in here. So uh, more details will be on that in the near future. So thanks everybody for listening. Uh, We'll see you next time.
1: That was fun.
0: Yeah. Love it. Love it. Now, um, I do want to get some some pics of us chilling here. Sure. Show pics and everything like that.